Welcome back to Rotten Righteous. Today we ask the question, what's Creepy John pointing at? Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the show that tells you whether or not you should treat a faith-based movie or television show like the left lane on the highway and pass, or if you should make like Pennywise wearing a Timex and watch it. Wow. Oh, pause. boy. I'm going to pause just for a moment there because that joke is fantastic. How long did it take you to come up with that? I typed this literally 30 seconds before I called you to. <laughs> That's... 28 seconds too much. <laughs> uh, that was trash. Right. That was is a trash. great joke. <laughs> Again, I'm going to pause so you can appreciate that joke of Pennywise, the clown, also known as It, wearing a timepiece called a Timex. Watch It. Jokes are always made funnier when you have to explain them. Listen, I'm just letting it stew. (laughs) I am your host, Zach Geiler, and with me is my co-host, a man who is learning just a little more every week that microphones record every noise he makes and not just his voice, Scott Judge. Scott, tell the people hi. I can't. I'm without a watch today. Okay, let's try that again. I'm your host, (laughs) Zach Geiler. (laughs) Scott, try not to be try not to be bad. Okay. <laughs> Come so natural though. And joining us today for the second time is the most Pennsylvanian-esque Ohioan I have ever met, Andrew Beasley. Andrew, how are you doing today? Hi. Okay. Two I'm treats. doing great. Thanks, Zach. It's good to be here. Appreciate you guys. I was just trying to make Scott make sure Scott didn't feel like he was being completely outperformed by the two of us again. It, it's there's nothing you can do to to stop that. It is what it is. Scott's just you know that voice in the background that I edit most of what he says out of the final show, and uh, <laughs> I have him. That, by the I way. have him come on. Well, you don't understand, Scott. You can wax poetically about a topic for forty five minutes, and I'm still trying to keep these things under an hour. Only been successful once out of four times, once. but. All right, so if you are joining us today for the first time, I want to stop at the beginning of this and tell you to stop what you're doing and please give the podcast five stars, especially if you're listening to this on iTunes. If you're not, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or anywhere else, please like it, share it, do whatever you can to uh, uh, get the word out about our show. Tell your friends, tell your family about it, because we are pretty poor, so we can't pay for advertising, so every little bit helps. And if we don't get more listeners soon, I'm going to have to put or push Scott into moving traffic so we can collect some sort of legal buyout. Maybe settle out of court with someone's insurance company, just so we can keep doing this show. But now that all that cheerful business is out of the way, it's time to begin our discussion of episode four of the VidAngel television series, The Chosen. We open up on the Sea of Galilee. And Simon is leading the Romans that we saw at the end of episode two. 
and he is leaving them on Shabbat to try to square his debts. He made a deal with Quintus that uh, he wouldn't have to pay his taxes that he owes, and he owes a lot, if he turns in some of the fishermen who are fishing on Shabbat, or the Sabbath. And as he's going out there, he sees some, some signs of fishing. Specifically, he sees a bobber with the letter Z written upon it. He looks at the letter Z and then decides immediately that, uh, well, he's not going to turn in whoever old Zeta is. I don't know what the Hebrew equivalent it is, is for Z. He, he wasn't going to turn in old Chayzach. And so, he decides... <laughs> I'm, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> so he decides that he's not going to turn into Z. Old Mr. Z, and he uh, turns the boat hard to port and runs them all on a sandbar. So they're walking out, they get off the boat, and they're walking along, and uh, the Roman that was in charge of the the Romans that Simon was leading out into the, the, the lake that night says uh, he did that on purpose, and he cut off his ear. Now what do you guys think about that? It's foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that's what he had done. I, you know, I knew that he cut him. I couldn't tell that he had cut off his ear, but I thought it was interesting. I thought it was. I didn't know if they were hinting at Jesus was going to heal his ear when they ran into each other later on, or what was going on. But yeah, probably a little bit of foreshadowing for later on. Well, what's Simon Peter most famous for? I mean, arguably, okay, yeah, getting the keys of the kingdom, making the good confession, uh, and like six other things. But after that, what's the seventh most, <laughs> what's the seventh thing Peter's most famous for? Being the first pope. Right, right, and not being married. Um, <laughs> he, he cuts off the ear of Malchus. And it's pretty amazing that there was a pope 300 years before the Catholic Church actually started. But uh, That's wild, isn't it? That's for a different uh, uh, podcast that I'm calling uh, Papal or Poop. Let's discuss whether or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he's Simon is famous for getting his ear chopped off, or not yes. getting his ear chopped. He's famous for chopping off Malchus's ear. And I, I don't know if that's one of the subtle... Uh, uh, kind of foreshadowings that they've been doing since the beginning of this episode to kind of bring full circle whenever they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, you know, maybe maybe Simon will say like some cool line like, "This is mercy," and then off goes Malchus's ear. Could be. All right. Now, one of the first things I want to discuss is to get this out of the way because for two weeks now I've been confused uh, with the whole Quintus. Dominus discussion. All right, and I was watching it the third time. It took me three times watching this, where they actually, where I realized they actually called the bald guy that we're going to talk about in just a minute that Matthew goes and talks to. They call that bald guy Quintus. So that is Quintus. Yes. Quintus is the big bad guy, the big Roman praetor. Yes. Who in the Taco Tuesday is Dominus? Dominus is the guy that that's that's uh, Matthew's connect. His that, handler. Yeah, his okay. Handler. Okay. 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 Now we know. And if GI Joe taught me anything, knowing's half the battle. Mm -hmm. 
So Peter gets his ear cut off because, well, the, the, the main Roman dude in the boat thought that Peter ran him into a sandbar. And then the next scene we get into, Simon's warned that he has a week to turn in the fisherman fishing on Shabbat where he was going to be punished for his delinquent taxes. So now we've got the countdown clock. Then we're moving to Capernaum Cheers, that bar that Mary Magdalene came in and all that stuff happened in a few episodes ago. Simon's sitting down with Zebedee and his sons. And he just comes right out with it and says, Hey guys, I made a deal with the Romans. Why are we here, Simon? I made a deal with the Romans. Romans? Simon, He doesn't say anything about any deal to Asaba. You see the wound? Doesn't look like Simon gave them what they wanted, does it? Use your brains. They didn't immediately get up, but they, uh, they kind of sat down with them and, uh, Gave Simon a chance to explain, and Simon goes, well, guess who saved your bacon that night? I want your fish. I want all your little fishies that you caught the night before, so I can pay off my tax debt to the Romans. How much tax debt do you have that all you need is one night's catch, or one boat full of fish, to pay off your tax debt? I mean, I'm not talking from a biblical standpoint, I'm just talking from like a real-world standpoint. It doesn't seem that if you can pay off your debt with just one big load of fish that you are going to be in the dire straits that that Simon Peter finds himself in. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying there. And then certainly uh, he, he's concerned about losing everything. I mean, the house, the boat, going to prison uh, for how long, we don't know. So it kind of made me wonder, too, that that is any amount of taxes that you owe that aren't paid at that at that magnitude of, of punishment. I mean, even you know, what would be a small amount or a large amount or just any amount, uh, are you going to face being put in jail for that? Well, the, number one, I don't know that we necessarily know what the average day's catch was yeah. worth in the first place. You know, is one net full of fish, is that enough to sustain somebody for a day? Is it enough to sustain somebody for a week, a month? You know, if one net full of fish is enough to, to to sustain the family for a month, then a boat full of fish, you know, that's probably a year's worth of tax debt that he would have been behind on. Uh, but again, you know, I don't know. You know, to us, it seems like, you know, that's a few fish. Really? I mean, could he really be in that bad? Could he really be that mm -hmm. bad off with one night's worth of fishing? You know, but I don't I don't know. Me neither. That's why I asked the question. Yeah, I have I have nothing to contribute in a you know in a <clears throat> substantive way, I guess. Listen, uh, I don't have anything to contribute either. I mean, we could just go to the rating and say <laughs> I like this episode. There's not a lot we can pick at, but uh... right. I just it's it's an interesting question. I think Scott brings up a good point. You know, we look. I think we probably look at taxes differently than what they looked at taxes back then too. You know, we we see the IRS as the big bad people who are coming to take away, you know, our cell phones and, you know, want us to pay into government programs that we don't want to pay into, blah, 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 whatever, politics type stuff. For, for them, I think, given what we know of the Roman government and how violent they could be and how oppressive they could be, 
uh, and how greedy they definitely were. Uh, I think being behind on taxes could certainly be something that could be punished severely. I mean, look at the stuff that Paul gets thrown in jail for uh, in the New Testament. Look at the stuff that people are getting arrested for just because, you know, you look at someone the wrong way. What was it, an episode... In episode two, uh, we were all laughing because of how the the one Roman soldier reacted like, oh, you're going to die right now just for for something that Matthew had, what he had said. So I don't even remember what it was that he had said, but we all thought, boy, that's a big overreaction. But I think contextually, if we put it into ancient times and how violent and cruel that world could be, that, you know, maybe some tax debt, even if it would seem minimal to us, uh, could be worthy of losing everything and being thrown into jail. Well, it's funny that you say that because I would agree with you, and I'm not saying this, I'm talking about just the world that's being built in the show. I'm not talking about actual history. Mm -hmm. Because in the next scene, we see Matthew with Quintus, and Quintus wants Matthew to go and spy on, on Peter. Follow Simon. I want to know where he goes, with whom he meets. Tell me what they're talking about, what he's drinking, anything. The latter may prove difficult. In fact, all of what you request, Dominus, may prove difficult. But you're a resourceful man, goal-oriented. I'm not accepted. Where? Anywhere. I'm a tax collector. Viewed with jealousy. Hated. Everyone hates tax collectors. They're worse than the Romans. You were born Roman. I made the choice. This is what I mean by not being consistent with the Roman threat. Uh, uh, Matthew's sitting there, and he says that he's not going to be a very good spy for Quintus because he has uh, 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 because he's a tax collector because he's hated by the people that everyone's not he's not accepted anywhere. He's hated, and then he goes, I'm hated worse than the Romans. And at that moment, one of Quintus's guards goes and grabs the sword like he's going to go kill him. But then, four seconds later, Quintus is like, well, here's the thing. I think Peter might have double-crossed us. Don't know for sure. It could have been that I just have bad sailors. Might have been right about Simon. He double-crossed me. Maybe. Probably. Truth is, I don't have many seaworthy troops here. It might have been an accident. And I'm like, well, hold on just to say, you're buried to murder Matthew the tax collector for saying that Rome, Romans are hated, but you're willing to give Peter a second chance because you're thinking that uh, 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 you, you might just have bad sailors? I'm sorry, that doesn't track. I, for me, I, I know no. that, that, that Matthew's a little bit off here, so why in the world am I having my guys constantly almost taking their swords out to kill him? But with, with Peter or Simon, I'm willing to give him this, the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't make any sense to me from a world-building yeah, perspective. That, that scene, that, you're right, that scene didn't jive real well. And you think about why he came in by himself as well. Uh, <clears throat> it's mentioned that you know they thought his keeper thought he would be killed, so that's why he didn't want to come in. And you see the extreme, and then you see, you know, well, maybe, maybe he double-crossed me. I don't know. And uh, the, the, the whole thing, I want to say that every time I see these, uh, these clips between Matthew and Quintus, it is just irritating, anxiety-producing. I just, I get 
frustrated every time I see the interaction between those. And I, I don't know if, if on script that's what they're trying to do to me, but I see the manner in which Matthew is and trying to talk to and trying to get to Quintus. Quintus is a bizarre character to me that just doesn't make sense. And I know in one of the early episodes we talked about his acting ability, but I get so agitated watching not just this scene, but every scene. Well, he does kind of treat treat Matthew... I don't know how he treats Matthew because I, I, he's not a good actor. He's not portraying the emotion that Quintus is supposed to have towards Matthew the right way. Is he impressed with Matthew? Does he like Matthew? Is he using Matthew? Is he annoyed by Matthew? What is he towards Matthew? The guy that's acting Quintus does not portray that whatsoever. Matthew, on the other hand, is acted beautifully. I love it. Yeah. I love this idea of this uh, Asbergian character... That, uh, uh, you know, that is very, very, well, Quintus calls him a machine, and that's kind of yeah. right. He's like uh, he's like a computer. There's no nuance with him. It's just, this makes the most sense. Why aren't people doing this this way? It's the way that, that uh, uh, is, is the most efficient way to get something done. But Quintus, he can't play off of Quintus because Quintus can't act. The guy's bad. He's very bad. And then the lines that they give him are bad. For example, when uh, he's like, He's like, Matthew, where, who's guarding your booth while you're here talking to me? <laughs> yeah. and, and Matthew's like, I've got my dog there. And then he's like, ha, 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 ha. Of course you have a dog. Oh, Matthew, you are a priceless treasure. Of course you have a dog. Which, first of all, what the world does that mean? Of course, you got I have a dog. No idea. I I can I can tell you what it means. Dogs at that time did not have the same significance to society that they do to us today. They were seen as you know, essentially we would look at the way they looked at dogs is the way that we look at rats today. They were carriers of disease. They were scavengers. They were problems for the people. They weren't man's best friend back then. And so that's why I think that Quintus is you know looking at Matthew like. Of course, you know, you weird little guy, of course you have a dog, you know, it'd be like somebody carrying around a pet rat. You know, um, if you say that though, Andrew, you, you, I think, I think that is, that is an outstanding look at Matthew, because if we saw Matthew in today's society and he was talking about his pet rat, we'd be like, yes, of course you have a pet rat. Right. You probably, you probably walk it. I'm the last person who should make fun of somebody's laugh. Okay. I get it that whenever I laugh, and I don't try to laugh very often, I sound like a hyena and the dolphin got together and had my laugh. It's not a good laugh. But the laugh that Quintus decides to go with in this is just awful. Oh my goodness, it is... <laughs> of course you have a dog. <laughs> He sounds like John Wayne if John Wayne couldn't act. Here is, um, here's where I think this whole, the, the scenes with uh, Quintus have problems. I think the heart of the problem is, is that they are trying to portray the cruelty and the greed of a Roman official and, yeah. and show how that expresses itself towards society but they have 
taken Peter, who we have no indication that he was in any kind of serious debt, uh, you know, that he has these character flaws that they've assigned to him that have gotten him into trouble with the the Roman government, that you would think, okay, here's this evil guy, this guy that you want us to believe is just this evil, awful, you know, dictator-type ruler uh, who should be not giving Peter a second chance for no reason whatsoever. Instead, he should be dropping the hammer on him. But because of the story, you can't you can't have this guy kill off Peter. Right. You, but you here's, here's the thing. I don't have a problem at all with the backstory they're giving Peter. It, I do because it, it doesn't fit in with the... It, it, it causes the other story with the Roman official to become no, convoluted and unbelievable. No, I, I, I agree with that. But what I'm, I'm talking about, if we take Quintus out of the, the equation and just look at Peter, yes. all right? I don't have a yeah. problem with it. That may be the reason why the fish affected him the way it did during the actual miraculous catch. It, it's just one explanation that we don't have in the Bible. We need to get that across, right. that this is not biblical. It is just uh, the backstory that we're not getting yes. and one person's attempt at, at getting us to introduce ourselves to these characters. I don't have a problem with the story. In fact, sure. I'm actually intrigued by the story. What I have yeah. a problem with is Quintus. Quintus himself, if you are going to portray all the Romans as just these giant hammers... Of, of immovable force and just un, unbelievable rudeness and prejudice and everything, which, by the way, isn't really what you get from history, which is kind of driving me a little bit nuts. Yeah, they weren't exactly the nicest towards people, but above all, I mean, look at Pilate in the example of Jesus' trial. Above mm -hmm. all, what they wanted to do was keep the peace, because if they wanted to remain in power, they had to keep the peace. You don't do that by going out and being a jerk to all the people in your area. That doesn't jive with history. And I get that they're trying to play Quintus off as this giant bully. And in the first episode that you see him, he was doing that fairly well. But then that one moment where he's wishy-washy with Peter, saying, I don't know if this guy's double-crossing me, or if uh, I just have bad sailors. That one line just got into my crawl, and it mm -hmm. does not make sense to the story they're trying to say. But I, I agree, but I think that that becomes the case because of the other backstories that they've put in. It becomes convoluted with the way that Quintus is played, contrasted with the way that Peter is portrayed. And I don't have an issue with the backstory that's given to Peter if you take Peter out of the... You know, if if you separate the stories individually, but Peter's story does not mesh well with with Quintus's story, at least not in the way that they want to portray them both. Because if you want to portray Quintus as this just harsh ruler, then when Peter's not paying him like he should be, Quintus should be saying, "All right, kill this guy." Off with his right. But then he can't. But then he can't because you know, obviously, Peter can't be killed in this story. Yeah. So, really, if they wanted to make it good, because like I said, I like Matthew. I really like what they're doing there. I like Peter. I like those two stories. Why do sure. we even need Quintus? Why couldn't Matthew just be a guy that's saying, "Hey, you need to pay your tax debts." I have been told that we need to stop fishing on Shabbat. We need to stop this illegal fishing. I'll tell you what. You go out and, and give me some people I can report back to my boss. It's all good. Yeah. 
I agree. And then Matthew yep. comes and says, okay, you're running out of time. I need I need the payment, or I need this by that. Just eliminate Quintus altogether, and you're fine. And that would probably help the story. I mean, and not all, you know, he could have just been a one-episode character to where you get, okay, this is the guy that is handing down the instructions. This is the kind of man he is. And then just let Matthew play out the scenes from there on out and take Quintus out of the picture. I agree. I think if you yeah. remove Quintus from most of it, you're better off. No, I was just going to say, to me, every time he comes in the picture, it's almost just like a hiccup to the show. To yeah. The movie. And, and, and honestly, if he was even well acted, we probably would overlook it. Yeah. He's not well acted and he's not well written for. And, I mean, he put those two things together and it's just... Well, he has he has that one line in there that's good, but it doesn't fit into the narrative at all. Yeah. Fruit here is incredible. Pomegranates, dates, figs, berries, the olives. Everything that grows here is immaculate. Except the people. You're such a miserable lot. You worship one god, and yet you're all divided. You see... People complain, we Romans run the world, but I know a dirty secret. You people want to be ruled. You want an excuse to complain. It's part of your nature. Awesome. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. You have Pharisees, you have the Zealots, you have the, the, the Sadducees, you have the Herodians, you have all these people that are all worshipping Yahweh, but they're all at each other's throats. Good line. Doesn't fit where he said that, and then he immediately turns around and says, he says that brilliant line, but then he turns around and goes, you Jews just want somebody to rule over you, that's why we're here, and it's just like, why? Why'd you say that? Yeah. <laughs> anyways. So, so I, you can complain. You want The Jews want somebody to rule over you so you can complain. What? That, that doesn't make sense to me on both ends. It makes sense to me as an American. Imagine how much we would be at each other's throats if we didn't have the government to complain about. That's human well, nature. Well, yeah, That's we have a knack for finding things to complain about right. when there is nothing. And if it's not the government, then we'll complain about each other. And if it's not each other, then we'll complain about our household. I, mean, I think that's just human nature, but it just didn't fit in yeah. there. So let's talk about our good friend who we haven't seen for an episode or two, or just one episode, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is being reported to that uh, there's this guy baptizing people, lines, you know, around the block to get this guy's baptism, and he's baptizing for forgiveness of sins. And Nicodemus asks about what he's teaching, and he, the guy is just, he's like, well, you're not going to believe this, Nicodemus. But I haven't told you the worst part. One of our own approached him, and he called all of us snakes. Us? Yes, religious leaders. Snakes? He ranted like a madman about how worthless we were. What else? What else? What could be worse than that? It depends on who he is. He's calling all us religious leaders snakes. And Nicodemus is like, okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like I like Nicodemus' character arch right now. Our, our arc right now. And, uh, yeah, doesn't, doesn't, isn't the Pharisee, I mean, he's offended by the fact that this guy's calling, if I remember, they're being called snakes, and Nicodemus is like, 
Well, it depends on whose mouth it's coming from. You right. Know, yeah. kind of... And that's that's been kind of Nicodemus's story is he goes up there and he's teaching what he want or what the people want to hear and then he comes across the demoniac, Mary Magdalene. And then he starts to lose faith, but he doesn't or he loses faith in the Pharisees, I should say, but he doesn't lose right. faith in God. He loses faith in the traditions and he doesn't lose faith in God. So now we have this man who again all we know about Nicodemus is that he shows up in John 3 and that he's asking about the kingdom of God. We don't know anything else leading up to that interaction. And so, again, I don't have a problem with this because they're not stepping on the Bible or twisting the Bible out of context. They're just saying this is a way it might have happened. But it makes yeah, sense like- that he's, he's losing some of the uh, appreciation he has for the luster of the Pharisees, the the, the glitz and the glamour and the... the uh, 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 the piety of the Pharisees, and he wants to get down to business. He knows a miracle's happened, and he wants to figure out who did this miracle. He wants to find the Messiah, which is why he asked the Pharisee, did he do anything or teach anything about miracles? And when the guy's like, I don't know, he's like, I don't care what he says about us. I don't care what he says about the Romans or about the people. That's whatever. Did he teach on miracles? Well, I, I don't know about that. And Nicodemus is like, all right, I'm done talking to you. Uh, meeting adjourned. Yeah, I love, I love what we're seeing with his character as we progress through these. Uh, and certainly we see it in, in this episode as well. He is struggling right now because he knows what he has seen could not come of man, and he knows it was a miracle, and he is greatly wanting to find out exactly how this happened. And it is interesting to me that they, they're so offended about being called a, a snake, being called snakes, uh, that he, he wasn't quick to react with that. But yeah, it depends, dang it, or it depends on why it's being said. Uh, but he is he is struggling with his knowledge of what he had seen with Mary Magdalene. Can I also say that for the first episode that he's been in ever, I'm a little disappointed by this, but we don't have a line by him that I can make fun yeah. of. That ends in a question mark. <laughs> Fish? He didn't ask any slow questions, and so now I have nothing to talk about for him. He didn't go, is he... Talking about miracles? No, he didn't. <laughs> Isn't, uh, I think he's fascinating because he sort of, you know, he knows a miracle happened. Uh, you know, he's asking about other miracles, you know, you know, if other miracles have happened, if other people have seen uh, miracles be performed like this. He's starting to search out things on his own. And to me, that really reflects what what Christianity is about, and what the things the things that we can see today. Obviously, we can't see miracles being performed. You know, there's none of those things. But you know, hold on a second. Think about the the marks of if, Christianity. If you go back to our preview episode, you clearly saw Kenneth Copeland blow COVID nineteen away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I've seen uh, I've seen Benny Hinn and his uh, spirit-filled jacket knock people over like bowling pins, but we've not seen any actual uh, uh, miracles. We can't see actual miracles today, but what we do is we you see the the marks of Christianity and the impact that they make on other people. We talk about it a lot. How can somebody be? Uh, um, how can somebody at a fu- at a funeral be talking about joy 
and hope, right? And while people might not understand that, it kind of makes them go, how is that possible? I need to, to sort of search out what's going on there. And I think that's what you see with Nicodemus, is he's kind of thinking like, how in the world is any of this possible? I need to search this out some more. And you see that that the fact that he's he's in the process of that searching right now. He's mm-hmm. looking for uh, the source of the, uh, of this wonderful thing that he knows and uh, and recognizes is happening. He needs to know more. And right, and it's that down. It's really interesting to watch him do that because again, he's a Pharisee. Pharisees yep. did care about being seen praying, did care about, you know, getting all the, the, the attention from the people and, and being shown to be the most pious uh, uh, of all the, the people in the land. But when you're on the path to the truth, all of the earthly nonsense just stops mattering, right? Yep. He, he's, he doesn't care that he called him a snake. He doesn't care that he stood up to the Romans. He doesn't care that, that he's teaching people to go against the societal norm and start being more giving all he cares about is getting to the truth he knows a miracle has been performed and he wants to know the truth and that that to me translates a lot to to some some ways that people look for churches today for example yeah you know they want to know they want the 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 church service that that gives them options they want to if they want an early morning brunch service at 10 that's great but if they want a mid-afternoon three o'clock service wonderful they want a coffee bar they want to make sure there's a praise team and a nice band up front and they want to make sure the preacher isn't too stuffy and that he's he's doing all this stuff and they want to make sure that they have a breakfast service or that they have dodgeball on saturdays they want this long list of earthly nonsense that doesn't matter but that's because they're not looking for the truth. They're just looking for a social club to be a part of to make themselves feel good. But when you're focused on the truth, when you only want to come to God and God alone, all that list of nonsense no longer matters, and you're going to have make a beeline towards uh, 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 God. And that's the beeline that Nicodemus is on right now. Yes, exactly. So in the next scene, Simon walks into his house to find his brother-in-laws and his wife, Eden. And Simon is told that Eden's mother is sick. So when Simon finds out that uh, uh, his mother-in-law, Eden's Ema, as she is called, that's important, because when I first watched this episode, I thought there was just two ladies called Ema that just happened to be uh, moms out there. No, Ema means mom. Uh, uh, (laughs) So he he knows what they're asking. He knows that that his brother-in-laws want Simon to take old Ema into the house, and Simon's initial reaction made me laugh, just as a married person. The fact that they're like, look, my mom's sick, Simon, we should bring her in. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then he realizes what's going on. He's like, oh, why are they here? And then, he, and then the face he makes... When he sees the, when he hears the cough, is just fantastic. Because Eden's like, you know, it's just one of those things. And it happens all the time when you're married. Where you, you walk home and your wife goes, uh, what do you think about getting a, a, this didn't happen to me, but it's a good example. What do you think about getting a new, a new dog, a new puppy? Uh, I don't know. I think in a while we can talk about getting a puppy. I'm sure that'll be good. And then you hear barking coming from the bedroom. I mean, it's just one of those... <laughs> one of those like it's just realistic you know where and then there's a line that eden gives 
that that kind of hit me right in the heart. And it, it made me treasure my wife a little bit more this week after watching it. And uh, she's talking about how Simon is lacking faith. And he needs to find faith with faith in God, which once again is a wonderful lesson. The reason why he's so stressed out is because he's, he's focused on trying to fix all of his problems alone. He stopped trusting God, and then he's gone all the time, and he's trying to work. And then Eden says that line, You have had your eyes closed around here, and God is with me, even if you aren't. And that, right there, man, because because we have a two-year-old at home, and sometimes it's hard to find child care, and, you know, so right now we're in this kind of groove where Kelsey works during the day, she comes home, we say hi to each other, and then I'm out the door, and I come home to bedtime to tuck Joseph in, and Kelsey normally goes to bed with Joseph. And, you know, and it just made me stop and think just for a minute. Am I there for my wife? Am I there for my spouse? Is she feeling like, well, at least God's with me, even when my husband's not? And it's just, you know, a reminder to, to treasure those moments and, and make sure you're there for the people that uh, God has blessed you to take care of. Simon starts preparing for fishing. Uh, Eden kind of kicks him out. And so Simon goes, I'm going to go fishing. Um, and then his brother Andrew comes out and says that... Uh, he found the Messiah. We're saved. We're saved. I saw him with my own eyes, Simon. Oh. It was incredible. Andrew, who did you see? The Lamb of God. He who takes away the sin of the world. Which again, I like this because of what little hints we have about Peter and his personality, I kind of got back on board the Peter train this episode. At first, I didn't think the actor... I'm never saying that Peter's actor wasn't a good actor. I just didn't think he was right for the part. But this episode changed my mind. He did a great job. But uh, uh, he's so focused on, um, you know, saving his marriage now, saving his family, saving his house, saving his freedom, that when Andrew comes and tells him that the Messiah is coming, he's like, okay, that's great, um, but the Messiah is not going to put fish in, in my boat. I've got to go fishing. Are you listening? Yeah. Yeah, you're just not saying anything. I saw the Messiah today. The men, all of us, including you, have been playing for our whole lives. Don't you even care? Was he a big man? Big? No. Rich? No. It didn't seem he could bail us out of this debt to Rome? Maybe. Maybe he was a doctor? No. So he can't help with Eden's Zima, who's now living with us, Andrew. Which, you know, compared to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, Simon is like, his mind's on, how do I save my earthly self? Nicodemus is going, how do I save my spiritual self? So we see this contrast between these two men in this episode. Yeah, and I think you can really, this really brought to light in, in that contrast. Peter's just taking a look at how can he save, you know, his wife, his marriage, his boat, his house, uh, and has no time for this great news that Andrew's brought. And Andrew is just excited and just, uh, you know, realizing this is the moment they've been waiting their entire life for. And, and uh, you know, Peter, it, it, again, true to his character, even gives him a hug. And he's like, well, you know, it would be nice. It would be nice. Uh, real, quick, real, quick, away. real quick before we move on, I want to just bust out just a piece of cheese that I saw. A little bit of mm -hmm. cheesiness. 
it is remarked that Peter has an injury on his ear about 27 times in this episode. Yep. They're like, what happened to your ear? Hey, what's going on with your ear? I have looked at this episode three times. And the three times that I've seen this episode, I've paid attention to Peter's ear. And I see nothing wrong with that ear. It'd be like you nicking yourself on your face and people coming up to you all day going, hey, what happened to your face? No one's going to say anything. I mean, there was nothing there. It drove me... If, if you're going to put an injury on somebody that people are going to constantly comment, comment on, make it pronounced. Make it visible. Another thing that made me laugh in this scene is... Uh, so Andrew's saying, basically, we don't need to worry about taxes anymore because the Messiah is here. He's going to take care of everything. Which, once again, goes and talks about the misunderstanding that these Jews had about the Messiah. Um, the fact that they thought the Messiah was just going to solve all their earthly problems when that wasn't the case. So pardon me if I'm not exactly jumping out of my sandals because Creepy John pointed at someone. He's like, he doesn't want to hear about a guy that Creepy John... Creepy John, <laughs> that yeah. Cre creepy John boy, I love that. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Simon kind of brushes Andrew off. Andrew notices Matthew making notes. So Simon's getting ready to go fishing, and Matthew comes up and sees him and says, you've got till sunrise to pay your debt. And uh, Matthew is trying to help Simon out a little bit here. He's saying, look, you're not going to be able to, to meet your debt. Just turn yourself in, and it'll go easier on you. And uh, I, I kind of like that. I, I don't know. I kind of like that interaction because, yes, Matthew was written to have autism. That is what the director said in some of his commentaries. He is on the spectrum. As somebody that does deal with the fact that I am very direct and I don't have the, the interpersonal skills that a lot of people have, and I kind of just, you know, I want to say, and, you know, and, and so uh, uh, I, I just kind of, I just want to get from A to B as quickly as possible while not really realizing I'm hurting people's feelings on the way. To, to see the fact that he does care in his own weird little way it was it was kind of cool for for someone that that struggles with ADHD and other uh, uh, mental things that I, that I deal with on a daily basis to kind of to show that yes we people like Matthew people like me are very analytical and to see that he still cares and in his own way he's like Simon look just you've done all you can it didn't work out for you you've got to come clean I'll help you I'll go with you I think he says at one point you should turn yourself in. We can accompany nah. you. Instead of pursuing every option. There are none. You must provide the information implicating the guilty fishermen or balance the books somehow. Andrew says anything's possible. Not mathematically. Yeah, but what if, you know? You'll only be subjecting your family and friends to needless anguish by prolonging the inevitable. These are other big words. But no one listens to me. Not like they do you. You have a singular talent. That's something at least. And I assume you are not headed to the authorities. Going fishing. <laughs> variables. People are always adding variables. Does it change anything to know you only have until sun up? Sun up? But Shabbat's not for three days. Quintus is convinced you've double-crossed him. He's coming. I'm still going fishing, man. Turn yourself in. You have no feasible plan. I told you my plan. 
If I'm going down, it will be doing what God built me to do. Tell your boss he can come get me off the water. So, I, I, I liked that. Yeah, it was a good scene. And, and he, uh, you know, you remember that Quintus told him to go in disguise. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and he, he, went, he went in disguise every bit as much as I would have expected him to be. Yep. I mean, yeah. he, was hid, he was hid behind <laughs> like a little a little pencil-sized tree as he's there taking notes. But that was, that was a really good scene uh, that, that was there. That night, Matthew's fishing alone, and he's casting his nets down. He's getting frustrated. And I, I, I like the fact that he's kind of... Uh, I, I liked seeing him kind of lash out at God, because I think we've all been there where we're frustrated, where we're like, why is this happening? We have our, our Job moment. And he does make a good point, because he's going through... Uh, uh, the things that, that are frustrating him. I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the heavens. And then what? Huh? Make the chosen as many as the stars. Only to let Egypt enslave us for generations. Bring us out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, only to let us wander in the desert for 40 years. Give us the land, only to let us be exiled in Babylon. Bring us back, only to be crushed by Rome. This is the God I've served so faithfully my entire life. You're the God I'm supposed to thank. You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you enjoy yanking us around like goats and can't decide whether we're chosen or not. Which one is it? Ah! He still hasn't really realized at that point in time what Eden was saying, that the reason he's in this situation because he's not trusting God. He's trying to do things his way. He's trying to... Uh, uh, you know, take care of his debts through gambling, she said, first of all. And then when that didn't work out, then fishing on Shabbat and breaking God's laws. And when that didn't work out and he's uh, he's desperate into his last night to try to, to free himself, even though he knows it's fruitless at this point, uh, he's still not ready to take acceptance of his own actions and realize, you know what, it's my mistakes that got me to this place. It's God's. God said I was chosen and yet he's not there taking care of me. Yeah, and, and I was thinking when they were fishing, too, you know, you've got Peter who's just frustrated because obviously he's trying to, you know, he knows I've got to, I've got to catch a lot of fish tonight. Mm -hmm. yeah. But on top of that, I imagine that's probably just the normal reaction to a guy who's out there in the middle of the night trying to make a living mm -hmm. and things just aren't coming together for him. Right. You know, I, I think that given the country we live in, we're blessed in that, you know, we can go to work and for the most part, outside of small business owners, but for the most part, we go to work, we get paid for whatever task that we're doing and we're fine. You know, I, I don't have to wake up and if I don't catch a certain amount of fish, that means my family's not eating and yeah. I might not be able to, uh, you know, to get the things that I need just to survive for another day. Um, and I can't imagine 
what a stressful life that would have been like to live just in general. And then you start talking about being behind on taxes and that kind of stuff. I, I think it makes sense why Peter is mm-hmm. so frustrated and he's, you know, together with the attitude, the, the personality that we know Peter has in the first place. And I think it's just a perfect picture of who he is. Well, that and, and when he shouts out in frustration... Once again, this is this episode made me change my mind about Peter. Like I, I think I said that Peter was uh, the guy that played Peter was a good actor, but not the right actor for the part of Peter. But I changed my mind. I take that back completely. He's I, great in this I, episode. But when I he, think he stole the show this episode, right, right, and I'm on board. But and 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 you know, talk about a moment of cheese there where you have Matthew on the shore. Peter's going ah, and the dog's like whining, wanting to bark back. People bark sometimes too. And I was like, "Okay, Matthew, I-, I see you." That was pretty adorable. But uh, that's cheese. That was cheese. Yes, it wasn't cheese. It, it was cheesy, but it was good kind of cheese. It was like a nice gorgonzola. Another moment that I really liked was um, he's he's going through this angry prayer to God, blaming God, and then Andrew, Zebedee, James, and John come to help Peter, and uh, they tell Peter that uh, Eden sent him or sent them to him. And talk about a good wife. You know, you yep. just find out that your husband's lied to you, that he's losing his faith, that he's turning into somebody that you didn't marry, and yet you love him enough that you're going to uh, send his friends out to help him because you know that he needs his friends right now. You know that he needs help. Very much. You don't get a You know, there's not a, a ton of scenes with Eden, um, but she's impactful. And every single mm-hmm. one that she's in. Mm-hmm. Or just even when she's being mentioned. I think that as somebody who knows a lot of preachers that have uh, really tremendous wives, I think that's probably the truth about many preachers in a lot of ways. Because preachers are so in the limelight and so in the focus mm-hmm. so often. But I don't think a lot of people recognize the integral role that a preacher's wife plays. Right. Um, and, and how much, you know, preachers are flawed. We have to put on our best face all the time for everyone. I'm not flawed. Uh, I'm perfect. Right. Of course. Um, but you have to put on your best face for everyone and to just have that support there right. of someone who has your back even when you've left the house and you've done something, you know, you're in a huge fight, whatever it may be. And they're still there looking out for you. And that's so important. That's probably true of all Christians. Uh, But looking at it from a preacher's lens, that's, I think that stood out to me a lot. Well, the episode that you were on last, they opened it up talking about the virtuous woman from Proverbs Mm -hmm. and, and showing that that was Mary Magdalene. But I don't know. I think Eden fills that more as far as yeah. what to look for in a good, faithful wife. Really, you could preach an entire sermon on uh, a good spousal relationship a little bit. Not so much from Peter all the time, uh, but just looking at Peter and Eden's relationship. Because there's a moment where um, <clears throat> Peter says, we can't take 
his mother-in-law into the house. He's too busy. He's got all this stuff going on. And then his brother-in-laws start to kind of talk back to, to Simon and saying, what are you talking about? You've got to take him, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, uh, Simon speaks up to him. And I love this line because it's basically he took it straight from our marriage and family class. I'm not talking to your sister. I'm talking to my wife in my own home. And if you're not out of this room in three seconds, I will beat you both with my bare hands. He, he tells his brother-in-laws, I am not talking to your sister. I'm talking to my wife in my house. Yeah, That right there is powerful because yeah. so all too often people have these everybody love Raymond uh, uh, relationships where, mm-hmm. you know, Marie's coming over and buttoned in all the time. But you've got to understand, and that's what Peter was saying, that when you marry somebody, they may be a daughter, they may be uh, somebody's sister, um, but what they are first and foremost, according to God and his word, is your wife. Those other relationships that formed her are important, and they should be treasured, but the foremost relationship is between a man and a woman. God says, for this reason, a man must leave his mother and father. That's not saying cut them off forever, but you can't allow your old family to come between your new uh, marriage. And there's so many just little, there's so many little beautiful hints at what a good godly marriage is in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they meant to do that or if they just found it by accident, but there's some powerful lessons that can be drawn out of some of this stuff. All right, so eventually morning comes, they give up. They see Jesus on the shore, and they start to go in, and Jesus turns to Matthew and says, Hey, can I use your boat? Because people are having a hard time hearing me. I love this, because if you've ever been on a lake, you know that if somebody's in the middle of the lake, maybe 500 yards away from you, if they just talk just a little bit loud, it sounds like they're standing right next to you. It does act as this natural uh, amplifier, so that's why Jesus did that. And, um, you know, Simon doesn't want to, but he's like, whatever. And then after he gets done with the the, the sermon, Jesus turns to Simon and says, "Uh, I want you to toss your nets down for a catch. Simon's like, I've been doing this all night. I love this interaction, by the way, between Simon and Jesus here. It it was so real, and the story came to life this way, Mm -hmm. where he's like, I've got no quarrel with you, but come on, man, I've been doing this all night. Let me just go to bed. Let me spend these last few minutes of freedom with my wife. Did, did you guys pick up in this scene as well where, you know, Jesus Jesus asking for him to throw down the net? One of the things that struck me is there's still free will for Peter right. to be able to do this. He still had that decision that he had to make. And Jesus' interaction with him during this period of time in the show was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't forceful. It wasn't demanding. It was Peter needed to make that decision or decide whether or not he was going to do that. But certainly we see the great benefit that comes when he did it. Right. And at any point in time, he could have pushed Jesus off his boat and said, look, man, I've got to go home. I'm done. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. One thing I loved, 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 loved about this episode, and we talked about this last week, Jesus's mannerisms and interactions with people. But when Peter tossed down his net and he looked at Jesus, and he was just kind of like, eh, you know, like, meh, like, there, I did what you wanted me to do. And Jesus' response was, hmm, like, meh, right back at you. Like, he, like, cocked his eyebrows yeah. a little bit and was yeah. like, all right, I'm glad. 
And then when the water started to bubble, that expression on Jesus' face, I don't know if I just never thought about it before, of how Jesus reacted when he was doing this miracles, but it was cool what he was doing. Yeah. And you could see that Jesus thought what he was doing was cool. Like, he was enjoying the fact that these fish were flying into that net. And I really liked seeing that human side of Jesus being brought out with some of these miracles that we're seeing. That, that's one of the things that really stood out for me after this happened, was the smile on Jesus' face. And it was simply because he saw the joy in the fishermen that were there, even when Zebedee and James and John come running over to the, over to the net, and Jesus is just, just so happy and thankful right. for them and their reaction. And I, I thought that that really carried my mind away to, you know, Jesus is uh, uh, what it must feel like when people do obey him and do was, come to that realization of joy. Well, I was having a conversation yeah. with a young man in high school. And um, he, you know, I he knew he needed to be baptized. He knew that, you know, he wasn't saved. And I asked him why doesn't, why, what was he waiting for? And he said that he's afraid um, that he wouldn't have any fun anymore. You know, like he was he was worried about missing out on something. And I turned to him and I said, what do you think my life is like? You know, I was like, I was like, do you think I just sit in like a stone room somewhere that's lit by torches as chamber music is being played and I don't have fun or I don't play video games or or go outside with my friends or hang out? And I was like... But then again, you know, looking at this show and as I'm watching it, I realize that I'm guilty of the same mindset that that kid had towards just preachers and Christians, but I had it yes. towards Jesus. I forget, we say all the time, yes, he was a man. He was 100% man and 100% God, but I forget that he was 100% man, that he would have had these reactions, that he felt joy and happiness and he joked around and he wasn't just this like stoic painting and having a halo around him all the time. He right. was a human being. For me, what stood out was his patience. I mean, you know, yeah. I think about myself as, you know, trying to talk to people. And, you know, sometimes you catch people at the wrong time. And, you know, if somebody responds to me when I'm trying to talk to them the way that Peter does, right, you know, right off the bat, even with letting Jesus onto the boat, Peter was kind of like, are you kidding me, man? Come on. And so in that situation, to me, I'm probably thinking, you know, okay, this isn't a good time. I'm going to go. Um, and Jesus is just sort of like, you know, just just work with me for a minute, you know. And the uh -huh. patience of him to endure the annoyance of Peter and still, I mean, you, you, you kind of see the expectation, like, if you just give me this one moment... Mm -hmm. I know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so when Peter finally yields over to that and, you know, he, like you said, he throws the net down, he gives Jesus that look and Jesus is kind of like, yeah, I got you now. You know, yeah. I know what's coming. And I think, yeah, Jesus is a hundred percent man, but I think you get that deity side of him there too, where mm -hmm. he knows what's about to happen too. Mm -hmm. And he knows the joy that they're about to experience and, you know, for for just Jesus as who he was, I mean, you know that's the greatest thing in the world for him. Yeah, and right. know that what he's done has brought them joy, and he's going to be able to work through them now. 
So, yeah, he catches a whole bunch of fish. And then uh, Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And there's that moment. I get it. They put it in there for comic relief, whatever. But it was kind of stupid where James and John were talking to his dad. And his dad's like, go, go with the Messiah. And James's like, but what about mom? What about Ema? And he's like, don't worry about Ema. I'll take care of her. And I was just like, that's stupid. They, they wouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, okay, but then as they're walking away, I liked this moment. I thought I wouldn't like it, but the more I watched, the more I did like it. When when Peter and Jesus are walking up from the shore. So, you sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> and Peter's going, okay, I'll follow you, but hear me out. You want to do that fishing thing just a couple more times? <laughs> and I... Yeah. I was like, that's awesome. That was funny. That that, that right there is a good joke. Yeah, and it's so Peter, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you would expect out of Peter. He's like, hey, listen, uh, yeah, it, I'll it, follow you, but let's get some money. Let's do that fishing yeah. thing just a few more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so the show finally ends uh, with Nicodemus walking into a prison and uh, asking the prisoner, hey, are you John the Bapti- or Baptizer? And John the Baptizer goes, yeah. Then he goes, can you teach me about miracles? And that's the end. (laughs) So that was pretty much the episode. Is there anything important that we overlooked? Uh, Yeah, uh, I think so. Just right at the end, we talked about the the Peter uh, and the, you know, the fishes of men scene. But then you have that brief moment with Matthew. And I think that's the start, oh, yeah. uh, really the start of, you know, we, we're talking about journeys that these guys are on, mm-hmm. the journey that Nicodemus is on, the journey that Peter has been on. I think this uh, is really, for Matthew, the start of his journey uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of his coming to Jesus journey as well, because he's gone down and he looks at that boatload of fish and he just says, that's not possible. Yep, right. You know, and and you have that scene of him just kind of looking at it with a little bit of that perplexed look, trying to figure out what's going on here. And, you know, like like we said earlier, you've got Nicodemus hunting for the truth. You've got Peter now, who's been, who's really sort of reached at least the end of that first chapter of his mm-hmm. journey. And now you've got Matthew onto that as well. Uh, and I, to me, that's that it was just like a 10 second you know, brief snip, brief clip of him, mm-hmm. but was to me really, really important. I think for what's going to happen going forward. Hello, this catch is worth a lot. <laughs> it's amazing. It's impossible. For the loyal listener that's listening to all five of these episodes, then you know that in four of them we've played some sort of game. Now, we have a returning guest, so it's time for me to repent and get something off my chest. Uh, prior to this week, um, Scott, this is hard for me to say, and I'm, I don't know if you got this, but our game, that was titled the Totally Fair, Absolutely Unbiased Bible Trivia Game, um, it was kind of unfair and biased towards you. You think? And uh, really, very, that's news to me. I'm very sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. 
I can forgive you. <sighs> Thank you. But this week I came up with a game that's a little different than what we have been doing, and it truly is unbiased. Scott, you actually have a chance of winning this one. And instead of asking you Bible questions or Bible trivia, today I'm going to give you the title, and if they have it, tagline of a faith-based movie. Your job... Your job is to each give me one sentence synopsis like you might find in Netflix or something that tells you what this movie is about. Whoever okay. is the closest to the actual synopsis without Googling, no cheating, without Googling, uh, wins the point. Now today, the movies that I have chosen has come from the website Country Living. A man named Carson Blackwelder wrote an article entitled... 23 best Christian movies on Netflix that will leave you feeling inspired. No Googling, just your best guess. One sentence synopsis. You'll each give me one for each one of these titles. And whoever is closest, uh, I will give the point to. And and we'll go through this and see how it is. And maybe you can argue your case afterwards. Um, but we're going to go according to Mr. Blackwelder's summary that he gave on countryliving.com. So do you understand what I'm what I'm asking for? Yep. Yes. Okay. So your first title does not have a tagline, but the title of the movie is Walk Ride Rodeo. And this is a faith based movie. Yes. But don't think too hard on on the faith based part. <laughs> Uh, Chris Ledoux joins the rodeo. (laughs) All right, Andrew, what's your one-line synopsis? This is the life story of the creator of Rodeo Church. That actually may be true. I'm convinced of it. Uh, I'm 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 leaning towards Andrew because it's a little more uh, uh, likely than Chris Ledoux's life story being in a Christian movie. <laughs> really, when you when you hear these these uh, titles for the rest of them, you've got to think Hallmark movie sappiness, guys. Uh, oh okay. boy! Uh, Walk ride rodeo synopsis is this. An up-and-coming rodeo star's plans for success are thwarted after she's paralyzed from a car accident. But with the help from her mother, she soon rides again. Okay. Now, now just because it was slightly closer, I I, I think I should give the point to Andrew. Scott, would you concede with that? Uh, Yes, but did Chris Ledoux star in the movie? I'm like 90% sure Chris Ledoux is dead. Oh, I'm 100% sure Chris Ledoux's dead. Well, all I know is that Garth Brooks had a worn-out tape of Chris Ledoux. Lonely Women and Bad Booze was the only friends he seen left at all. (laughs) one nothing, the Beast. Okay. Faith-based movie number two. (laughs) We're not going through all 23. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Just going through five. Number two is titled... One mile to you. The tagline is, run with your heart. Andrew, you go first this time. Okay, uh, this movie is uh, about um, 
the first time that Forrest Gump met Jenny <laughs> after uh, <laughs> having just completed a Bible study. He saw her at the end of his driveway uh, and walked out of his house and ran as swiftly as he could to the sounds of the Chariots of Fire theme into the arms <laughs> Of his future wife. <laughs> All right, Scott. One mile to you. Run with your heart. What is that about? And it's one sentence. You don't have to write an entire novella over here. Okay. A uh, a uh, Iraqi <laughs> war vet returns to the love of his life who's with child. You gotta give that to Scott. <laughs> it's, the uh, actual answer is a man who listens to the proclaimers but is not that dedicated to the woman decides that he's going to run one mile instead of walking 500 miles. <laughs> because okay. I would walk 500 Stop, you keep singing that, we're gonna have to pay for it. Shut up. Um... <laughs> No, the real <laughs> the real synopsis is after a teenager survives a bus accident that kills his girlfriend, he decides to work with a new coach and dedicate his energy to running. Ah. Scott, I'm going to give you the point. You were the, the, the closest. <laughs> That's my first point in this Congratulations, entire series. Man. I'm proud I'm of done. you. Thank All right, so we're tied one-to-one. Y'all one. take care. We're tied one-to-one. One. <laughs> All right, number three. The, or the title is Rock My Heart. It's a German film. And so the tagline is, Mein Zwanditz! Which is uh, German for My Wild Heart. This Don't you be Googling, Andrew. This is a young German couple who was able to read the Bible uh, coming to <laughs> Jesus while making sauerkraut in the summer of 87. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, that was... Okay, this is turning out better than I hoped it would. Andrew, what's, what's, what's your one-sentence synopsis? This is uh, a story of two, yeah, two teenagers, two German teenagers uh, who worship <laughs> together, finding a common bond in the Scorpion song, Rock You Like a Hurricane. That's all I got. <laughs> I might have to give you both a point because you're both so wrong. Uh, the the truth or the true synopsis is a girl with a heart defect and a horse that can't be tamed connect and train for a race of a lifetime. I got nothing. Don't worry, Scott. Yes. We we were gonna we will watch all these movies eventually. That's great. <laughs> hey, okay, knock my heart ain't about sauerkraut. I ain't watching it. So, uh, we'll give you both a point for just participating. Uh, so, we're, <laughs> we're two to two. Number four is a movie that actually stars uh, the acclaimed uh, actor who portrayed all of the clumps in Nutty Professor, Eddie Murphy. And it is called Mr. Church. The tagline is, you can always find your way back home. Mr. Church... You can always uh, find your is, way back home. It is a story 
Uh, it's an animated story uh, where Mr. Potato Head takes on the role of a lead pastor uh, whose flock has gone astray, and he devotes himself to helping them back to the Lord. You are so close. It's not even funny. Uh, That's great, man. Scott, Thanks. Well, go ahead. What's Mr. Church about? Mr. Church is actually about a movie in which uh, the character Axel Foley, as his friends call him, go back to Beverly Hills and set up a congregation that's there for those that are in the California penal system. Scott, let me ask you one question before divvying out the points. In your synopsis, is it animated? No, it's not animated. Okay, then I'm going to have to give you the point. Uh, the actual... <laughs> the actual synopsis is a personal chef is assigned to cook for a terminally ill woman and her daughter, and eventually their friendship turns into a forever bond. Alright, here's the last one. All the movies you mentioned, I have interest maybe in seeing that one. Take this seriously. This is a chance to either you actually win a game, Scott, because you're up 2-1, to one, or tie it up. This one is called Holy Camp. I don't think that's I don't think that's the right inflection. I don't think I don't think it's like Holy exactly. Camp. Exactly. Holy Camp. I don't think it's like I don't think it's like Robin in the old '60s Batman movie. Holy Camp, Batman. I think it's more like Holy Camp. Holy Camp is actually a really good movie. It's about a um, summer that's spent at a Christian youth camp and the successes that came from the teaching. Okay. Andrew? Uh, actually, Scott, what the movie Holy Camp is about is uh, about a group of uh, former Mormons uh, who have uh, journeyed back uh, across the U.S., back across the ocean uh, to the Middle East to reestablish themselves a brand new tabernacle uh, and a brand new camp for them to live in and return to ancient Judaism, having given up the, the ways of Mormonism. That would actually be a good movie. It would. But... <laughs> Andrew, you had so many, so many opportunities to uh, get the point here. If you would have said Catholic instead of Mormon, I would have given you the point. If you would have said the Mormons went over to Israel and started a musical, you would have gotten the point. But because you did not, Scott, you won this game. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you finally you. won a game. Holy camp! is about this Spanish musical, Holy Camp. <laughs> it's about a musical called Holy Camp. <laughs> now listen, listen, it gets better. It follows rebellious teens Maria and Susanna as they spend their summer at Catholic camp. The movie brings back Singing Nuns, a beloved cinematic tradition Made famous by the Sound of Music and Sister Act. <laughs> now, uh, I was going to ask if Whoopi Goldberg was in this. Uh, 
Uh, I just love that Sister Act is a beloved cinematic tradition. Yeah. She won an Oscar for Sister Act, didn't she? I, I, you know what? I don't know. Now that, uh, now that that mandatory ridiculousness has been put to bed, we now can move on to our ratings. Here on Rotten or Righteous, we rate every single thing we watched on a scale. Scale from 1 to 10. 1 means it is rotten. 5 means that it's rotten. Anything in between? You guessed it. Rotten. But if it gets a 6 or higher, all the way up to 10, <laughs> it's, it's righteous. <laughs> Dear listener, I know that with that I maybe have 45 minutes of usable audio. We have been doing this for nearly two hours, and I'm losing my mind. So I apologize. So a scale of 1 to 10. Clear now. Okay. Fact, I think I've been confused about the rating scale the past four weeks. I know. We've only done this 400 times. Okay. Um, Andrew, my yes. dear guest, my... my um, what are you rating this thing? Uh, I rate this episode a solid 9 out of 10. I can't give it a 10 uh, because of the Quintus scene and because of some of the things I'm nitpicky about, but I'm giving it a 9. It was it was very, very good. Okay. Scotty boy? I'm going to give it an 8.5, uh, as I did last week. I agree with Andrew. There's just some nitpicky things. Uh, nit, nitpicky things that I take a look at, uh, and they're, they're, they're really, they're small details, but it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I am absolutely loving these first four episodes and just would encourage anybody to go see them. All right. I'm going to give it just a good solid eight only because last week I gave it a, I gave last week's episode a 10, perfect 10. Um, and that is the bar I am judging everything on from here on out. And this episode was very good. But the Quintus thing, as Andrew mentioned, I knocked a point off for that. And so I had to ask myself that I'm sitting there at a 9. If I'm taking it down from 9, is it as good as uh, last week's episode? And it's just not. It's just not as good as episode 3. Which is fine. An eight is still very respectable, which gives us an average score of eight and a half. You can take that to the bank. You do whatever you want with that rating, dear listener. If you're if you're judging on whether or not you're going to watch shows based in three yahoos like us talking about them, what are you doing with your life? Great plug for the show. What are you doing? <laughs> Forgot to finish that Pepsi when I was uh, eating my Zaxby's earlier. Hey, we Zaxby's. need to get them as a sponsor, by the way. Yeah, okay. We're not. They're not Chick Fil A. All right, they're not going to sponsor us. I'll work on that. Chick Fil A's the Lord's chicken. Zaxby's <laughs> is. 